1: I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Hey, hey, welcome
2: to... Another episode of Knife Talk. This is a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts. Who who cares? You're listening. You're here. That's what we want. So today, it's me, Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, with Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, Morecco Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts, and we have a special guest, the great and powerful Jonathan Porter of Doghouse Forge.
3: Let oh, the dogs
1: there you go right. uh, oh my goodness cool. well, oh my goodness aboard. so let's, wow. let's set the scene here jeff so jonathan's with you in the back of your truck yeah
2: no in the in the passenger seat passenger in seat passenger seat okay we okay. had we had to upgrade to the front it was yeah. a bit oh, more room in the back okay yeah. well i mean you guys drive cars right
1: oh yeah oh yeah
2: oh you have driver's licenses do you drive alone Sometimes you have a passenger. Well, this is what we're having. And you talk, and it's fine. It's not. He's just sitting on the in the passenger seat. Okay.
1: Okay. I was just imagining you two cuddled up in the back seat. That's all.
2: Yeah, it's a, for sure. No, it's no. technically like our first date, so
3: I'm not going to get in the back seat with him yet. Thanks, I'm, that's no, it. Okay. Thank Thank okay. That's, I'm
1: you. at least a two or three
2: dater. It depends. Well, be awkward. It depends. Like fine. But yeah. Fine. All right. Well, that's how you start, guys. This is this is the podcast you're waiting for. <laughs> <sighs>
3: Yeah, this is um this is a fantastic setup. So I think everyone should stop making fun of you. This Fine. is it's very comfortable. Fine. So Jonathan, what brings you to New York? I am uh out of metal, so I had to drive up here to see the the fantastic New Jersey Steel Baron folks and pick up a shipment of steel for the shop. Very good.
2: And nice. you're a knife maker down in
3: Oh yeah, I'm a knife maker in Florida. Yeah. So it's a long drive, but uh
2: it's <laughs> It's it's a nice
3: minute to check out, kinda, kind of zero your brain, drive up and back, gives you lots of time to think about stuff. And then I just really like seeing the Brunos. I got to come up and see Jeff and it's it's not really any more cost effective than shipping it. It pretty much washes as far as the how you know driving up or shipping it back. Because I am picking up like sheets of steel as opposed to like a box of it. So it's Aww. it'll it'll be um it'll be worth the trip. But I just like coming up and seeing everybody. It's it's not lonely in Florida but no one ever comes to Florida.
1: <laughs> so for those who don't know Jonathan, tell everybody your sort of style. What what, what do you make? <clears throat> well, I am the owner of Doghouse
3: Forge and Doghouse Forge is predominantly don't kitchen cutlery. Oh really?
2: <laughs> Oh my, oh, my god. God. oh my god! Oh, Craig, oh boy! Craig. Craig's on the button. Sorry Craig's on. That's well. good. I don't know really how he
3: does. knew that. That's one of my like all-time least favorite sounds. <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> now you're gonna be playing it more often. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it, um, it's it's basically kitchen cutlery. I do some outdoor, um, but try I try to stick with what I know and my style. You know, it's 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 functional i doghouse forge is kind of known for its handle work if, if if anything I do a lot of color and i do i do all my own wood stabilization and and dyeing so it's it's fun to play with all of that so i think i think as a as a general deal doghouse forge is, is just is just kind of a knife company i guess i don't know
4: nice what what kind of system are you using to stabilize your wood because that's definitely one of the things i've been very envious of when i'm in following you is just seeing your gigantic collection of wood
3: well you have to i kind of stole the concept of how to treat handle material from woodworkers and i'm lucky that i've had some pretty nice um carpenters and stuff like that that have helped me understand like when to use different woods and more importantly you have to learn when to source the different woods so like Different burrows are going to come up for sale in bulk Mm. at different times of the year because the areas that cut them down harvest them at certain times when when they're going to be the driest. So you have to learn when the season is, and then you have to plan ahead. So I buy all my Buckeye six months before I even think about drying it, and then I dry it and I stabilize it. So my holiday inventory that I'm dying and stabilizing wood for in the summer is actually purchased last year. And that sure. way there's enough time for the wood to sit. I'm super lucky in the, in the shop because I have a air conditioned wood room for the stabilization and the storage of all the wood. So I'm able to keep the humidity in Florida down in that 40 percent range to start with, which makes it oh, dry nice. up and not like two years and like a light box or something. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. But the system is um, source the wood. Give it ample time to dry naturally. That'll prevent most of your warp, and that'll prevent most of your checks or cracks from forming, which just sucks when you get a beautiful block, and you cut it open, and it's got a seam down the middle. Just, oh, yes. one worst. of my, especially when it's, like, multi-dyed, and you've got, like, a month's worth of in and out of ovens in it, and it, that, that hurts you. That, that hurts a little bit. But the, I use a vacuum stabilization process. Um, I use cactus juice resin, yeah. which is, I, I think it's pretty standard. There's a lot of lighter resins that will get you a harder, stabilized material. But as far as movement and it being stabilized, the cactus juice does an excellent job. That's the job, yeah, yeah. Um, I've it's the stabilization is just like everybody else's Mareco, I guess, with the with the vacuum in a in a pot. I use uh, I use sure. the eight port restaurant soup pots because you can buy them for like two oh, yeah. Or fifty yeah. Instead of the whatever $30 pot that they sell you with the with the kit. And yeah. then, and then um, I use a Harbor Freight vacuum pump. And I am not ashamed to tell you that you will destroy those um, repeatedly. Oh, yeah. So what you do is you go buy the Harbor Freight vacuum pump and you buy the two-year... $30 replacement, and every six months, you go and change out your vacuum pump, because that's yep. pretty much what I've been doing for the last, that's I don't know key. how many
2: years. That's like the that's L.L. The key. Bean. When I was a kid, my kid, my dad used to get uh, shoes from L.L. Bean, and they had a no-questions-asked replacement warranty, and he was constantly fucking sending them back. <laughs> like He'd wear them, they get a little scuffed, and he'd send them back, and the new ones would come. I mean, he was like on 10 pairs of shoes, and he only paid for one, so. Yeah, so it's the biggest thing is you have to dry correctly.
3: Um, I just have a I – I, I, I waited till one of the big box stores had a holiday sale, and I got a – just a good old-fashioned range or a oven, you know, and I've got yeah. it plugged in. And I bake the stabilized wood in it. I dry the stabilized wood in it. I actually temper my knives in it. I do all of your under 500-degree work in it, and it's oh, – wow. It just does a better job regulating that lower range than most of the kilns that I've used will. They have the most most bigger ovens, um, especially when they're made to go into the thousands. They have a they have a hard time in that lower range, like keeping a solid temperature. So it's it's the the home oven is kind of designed for bakers. And I'm going to tell you what you want to see a pissed off wife find <laughs> out her oven's not calibrated after she's been baking all day. Hmm. So they get it pretty close.
1: I've got a yeah. question for you, actually, when you when you use the oven to um, bake in your stabilization fluids. Uh-huh. Um, are you wrapping them in foil or tin foil or anything like that at all?
3: Yes, I actually. Right. Um, Tom Stone is beyond wood products. He's been around since since at least my beginning, and he's taught me some excellent tricks involving prepping that. That wrap that will save you so much time and effort later, um, what happens, Craig, is you get that push out. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah. That crust yeah. like, crap. Well, some woods don't push out very much. And that's like maple isn't usually very bad. But Buckeye could push out a quarter inch of crap all the way around it if yeah. it's not. You know? So what you want to do is you, you take it out of the juice, you dry it thoroughly, and you wrap it nice and tight. But the secret is to have your oven preheated before you start to wrap your, your blocks. That way, when the when the when the blocks go into the oven, they're already the outer shell is already hitting temp, which is going to start to convert your mm. outer shell. Of so you seal blocks,
2: it everybody else. Gotcha. You know what? Uh, That's really, really good. I, I never uh, what I you know, what? I'm so stupid. I always just like put them right in wet. I think I don't say any of it. Just put it in wet. Just,
3: when you put it in wet, you've got that 45 minutes or so before it actually has a time to seal it up. Yeah. Another cool trick, and I feel like we should really look more at the restaurant world a lot more. As I'm staring at Jeff's vent hood over his forge, which is beautiful, and then like, yeah, I, like I said, the race, the restaurant pots for the or the soup pots for your for your actual stabilization pots. But then I've got like a restaurant. I don't know what we what they're actually called. I guess it's like a sheet pan that I throw in the bottom. A hotel pan. A hotel pan. Yeah, and uh, basically. That way, all the juice and stuff that comes hmm. that does come out collects on that, and you don't end up with that, that crusty cake around mm-hmm. the bottom of your element, because if, just as a step for warning, if you get that juice up around 250, 300 degrees, it will ignite and it will um, <laughs> shit. So what happens is it doesn't ignite while your blocks are in there, but it drips out, and then you go to temper some knives at 350, and the the oven will catch on fire, and you'll oh. be like, oh. so, "Okay, yeah." Anyway, if you're gonna you gonna share the oven, you got to make sure you're keeping it clean. So. so, do you do? Just
4: to be clear. Are you doing this uh, the hotel pan with inserts uh, like little wire rack inserts? Or are you doing them on on the wire racks of the oven with the sheet pan underneath, or the you hotel see, pan underneath? What
3: I do is I I, I take the the actual rack out of the oven and i bring it into the stabilization room mm. um i wrap up my blocks put them on the on the on the on the oven tray you know like the standard rack that comes with the oven and then on yeah. those the, they always usually have two or three racks i take one of them out so there's more room um and then I, on the on the, the rack below it is where i'll slide that sheet pan in and that way it sure. drips onto that um i have found this is one of those reoccurring things that has definitely been my Achilles heel with patience. Um I've found that when I double stack the oven, meaning meaning I've got two full racks of wood, I will have sometimes incomplete processing on some of the interior blocks or especially if you're running different different size blocks and they're not all uniform. It's just it's better to run more rounds in the oven with fewer materials in it than it is to load it up.
4: So just keep that in mind. Because the, the layers below are blocking that direct heat, right? Mm. So I wonder I, if it, I so wonder if a convection oven would help cycle that
2: air well, around.
3: I'm I'm positive that would help. I just don't have convection oven in my shop that's, budget.
2: I mean, that's an <laughs> oven. The way an oven works, as we said in the last episode, it's, it's an exchange of heat. So if there's more mass, colder mass going in, it takes a little bit longer for there to be an equalization of the right. heat to the heat of whatever you're putting in it. I mean, that's yeah. even in cooking. It's the same thing.
3: And I guess... One last tip to getting good results. Um, also, another Tom Stone tip is uh, when you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. 110 to 115 degrees is fine. Um, but what 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 I do for I'm sorry. 110 115 degrees is fine for general low temp drying. If you really need to dry something out Fahrenheit. Thank you. Um, but right before you do your vacuum stabilization process. If you will put your blocks in and dry them to below 10%, okay, everybody likes to dry their blocks in their their, their place and assume that's dry, but you're gonna have a hard time getting it below relative humidity. Mm. So to get that little last percent, you gotta throw them in dry in the oven and dry them down until they're under 10%. If they're under 10%, you will get the most beautifully stabilized wood every time. The problems you get when you get problems are typically due to moisture. So. When you get a big seam inside of a block, it's typically a moisture bubble that, when you vacuum, when you when you vacuum water, it 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 it, it boils. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it turns into steam. So it's turning into steam inside of that piece of wood, and that's creating.
2: Have you noticed? I mean, this is all of a sudden we're in, in stabilization. I've noticed that if I after I uh, dry out my my wood and I put it and if I leave it soaking before I turn the vacuum chamber on, if I leave it soaking. For like a day or two um it's a it, it pulls when i turn the vacuum chamber on it's it, it's faster to like i get the bubbles out faster have you ever well, noticed something no, like absolutely i actually have my my process is to load all the pots and then
3: 24 hours let them chill and that is so i can stop destroying vacuum pumps because right. i constantly want to get in, impatient <laughs> and, yeah and, and when you do, like you said, you let it sit, it just naturally gases and you don't have to pull so much out.
2: I mean, I had noticed that I actually left accidentally. I left some in the, under the resin, under the, the, the you know, under, in the resin for like a week. And then I was like, oh, I forgot to do that. I turned it on and it was like almost half the time to get to mm. to the bubbles to go out. Right. And something mm. to bring
3: this up, I know a lot of guys, all different levels of, of, of entry to advanced to the, that listen to this so you don't have to necessarily have a vacuum pump to stabilize wood you need a vacuum pump to stabilize a lot of different woods but maple and buckeye and anything that's a softer wood if you leave it in long enough it will absorb all of that hmm. moisture buckeye especially you could leave it in for two weeks and it'll be just as good as it is if it's hmm. been drawn on you're just gonna have to leave it yeah. So mm, interesting. So it it, it it would be more be more effective with like punky woods or or spalted woods. Maybe you find a cool like I have this amazing curly spalted oak that I'm going to be letting out in this holiday restock. And I found it when I went and got firewood for the house, and the guy just had no idea. Oh, and nice. I was like, Yeah, let me get another wheelbarrow, bro. And he was like, He's like, you want two of them to down I, mm-hmm, I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's all this curly oak sitting in the shop. It's been drying all wow. year since when. Cool. So it's but that, and there's some punky spots where it's real, you know, it's real porous and light. That kind of stuff needs to be stabilized to be usable. It's usually the prettiest of the spalted stuff,
2: but that kind of stuff will stabilize without a vacuum because it's so porous. Now, one thing just to kind of highlight on something you mentioned, and this is something that's interests me when you talk about your holiday restock. One of the things that, uh, that Jonathan does is he's very, very uh, focused on the business of the knife making business throughout the year. So we're now in the middle of July and he's up here to get steel for Christmas or holiday times. One of the things that always, always, and you know, you and I talk a lot and, and um, we become, you know, friends and I'm fascinated by you as a as a knife maker in the business sense. And I put you on the short list of people I really uh, you know admire in terms of your business acumen. Kind of tell us about like how you see your year. Like how you do this business? What's your focus? You don't take on custom orders as much as a lot of people do. Tell us a little bit more about how the the idea of what Doghouse does.
3: Um, I th- this is a good one because I think about this a lot, and it's obviously I think about it a lot. I I have found that the more comfortable I get and the less I am concerned about things, the further forward I can look. So in the beginning when you're looking at doghouse forges year and you're looking at it from say five years ago it didn't it wasn't a year it was how do we get paid this week right you know and it was how much steel do we have and what's the most effective way we can cut knives out of it so we can buy more steel you know right and my old partner alex and i were just alex (laughs) used to always say jonathan can see 100 percent to the end of the line and he will tell you exactly where we will be when you get there. And every time he does that, we are exactly there when we get there. Right. Jonathan can't see a damn thing in between himself and the line. So what Alex was so good at was navigating the, the short term. while I kept us focused on the long term, which is one reason that Doghouse Forge was able to just grow so fast. And. Nowadays, I'm looking at it. I'm already past Christmas. I already have my Christmas bins pulled. I have the knives in them. I have handle material running in stabilization constantly right now. I've got my two part-time guys already on lock for August. We're going to hit August hard, and I'm going to have Christmas built by the end of August. That way... (sighs) I can then spend September getting my custom orders caught up from August and September. I run into October. I've got Jeff coming for a clinic at the end of September. I have two knife making clinics in October and you have to finalize everything you need for Christmas needs to be done by November 1st. So any any other one-off things or trend items that I want to add, I need that second half of October to hit. And then November is, is photographs, website, sharpening knives, getting your shipping ready. Wow. It's getting prepared for the onslaught so that when the holiday people start buying, you're not caught behind it. Because if you're trying to sharpen your knives and finish your knives, when you get a bunch of orders from, I mean, I, my, my website runs a lot of volume, which I realize is not everybody's situation. Mm-hmm. But in my situation, if I get 20, 30 orders in a day, I'm screwed if I can't ship them. Because that's think about sharpening thirty knives in a day. I mean, right. that's a whole day. That's a whole day. And then, and then after you sharpen it, I don't care how many times I say I'm going to do it, and I'm, I have to tape it up again, and I have to do my handle finish again because I just can't do it. I can't send it out until that thing is so perfect that it it's. I have white gloves, and I literally have white gloves in the shop. <laughs> right. And you 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 get to that last step where it's sharpened and the handle has been finished for the last time, and nobody touches that knife in my shop. Nobody without gloves on. That's it. Hmm. Like, and ask you, I, 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 wear those blue gloves constantly, you know, yeah. and it's just cause it's, you gotta, you gotta keep yourself thinking about what's coming next. As Jeff said, so I can't get stuck in the now I have to be able to keep flowing and moving. So I'm looking at the year. I know I have to, I know I don't want to get too into, into the finances of it, but you have to know that like your money's going to come at different times of the year. And it's not going to come at different times of the year. Like it's full on not going to happen in retail. So you got to be smart about it. And part of what I do is I know that the holidays are going to give me this big push. Well, you have to then turn around and reinvest in the materials that you're going to need for next year. And a lot of times buying wood is best in winter. So I'm going to buy wood before I even sell it this holiday. And that's risk, oh. but I've gotten more comfortable with that. So I can uh, now I'm like, all right, well, Now I'm going to go ahead and and commit to that because I'm comfortable with it. A lot of growing and planning your year has to be based on prediction or what the business world would call forecast. So you have to forecast. And I've had good bosses that have held me accountable to my forecasting, both when you are over forecast and you under forecast because you want to try and hit your target. That way you can control it. If you're forecasting you're going to hit this number and you are constantly blow past it, then you're not really any better than if you always miss it. You know, it's, yeah. you, you want to be able to control it.
1: So do I, you, sorry, John, I'm just wondering, no. do you come from a what, – what's your background before knife making? Is it sort of a business <laughs> background or what were you doing before knives? I have a, a horseshoeing business. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, a I'm a professional
3: farrier. Yes, correct. I guess an Englishman or a Welshman would prefer farrier for, for <laughs> over horseshoe, um, and that's not even in our Webster's dictionary. I don't think the word farrier.
2: Really? It's, wow. Nope. an obnoxious woman once asked me if I knew any ferrier. I'm like what? <laughs> I, you know, someone who horseshoes a ferrier. What the fuck? It was the very. I was like, what do you talk farrier? All right. Yeah. As you but, were. But yeah,
3: the farrier business, and I, I grew up in a. A house that we didn't, we're not like a business house. It wasn't like my dad's in finance or something. But what my dad believed in was you had to work and you had to understand the value of uh, attaining something through your own efforts. So, I mean, at 14, he took me in. I had to work in the restaurant and I worked in that restaurant while I went to high school. I went to a performing arts high school. So, I had secondary rehearsals and extracurricular stuff on top of my working. I was so busy, but it's made it to where now I'm okay with being busy because I realize that it takes being busy to succeed. At least for me, I can't sit around and make things happen. I have to put my head down and do the dang work. And the more I, the more I try and find ways around doing the work, the more you get behind because it's that moment of just having to step forward and, and get started and it's hard to get started because it's scary to commit to something when you don't know exactly where it's going to go. Hmm. So when you say predicting the year, planning the year, you have to make decisions and you have to stick to your guns. Like if I buy a bu- a bunch of maple and then the, the world of knife people decide that they don't like maple anymore. Well, you have a couple options. One, you try and you try and find something else with whatever means you have left or B, you sit on that maple until it's cool again. And then you still have to find a solution. But
2: how know. is how is being how do you think being a farrier has changed the way you look at business? I mean, how does, how did they there's got to be some sort of translation from horseshoeing to being a farrier. And that's not just the fact that, you know, you do a lot of forging. You're you know, you do a lot of blacksmithing stuff. So you're able to kind of you know, I know that you make Damascus and you forge knives. And how does do you think that there's a relationship in regards to the business end?
3: I think it just taught me to be accountable. And and really, there's a, there's some some gray areas in the knife business that are a little different in the tax world. But for the most part, it's just in and out. So you really do just have the in column and the out column. And right. at some point, you just need the you want the out column to not overdo your in column. I mean, that's, it's really that simple. And I the farrier is so is so easy because it's it's repeatable every 5 weeks. So right. it's it's really not comparable. Part of why I love Doghouse Forge is the fact that it is something that I am not 100% positive on. Like right. I am constantly having to solve
2: problems, which is where I'm the happiest. Right. I would think that because you're a you know what you have to do with the horseshoeing is you have a customer and the customer expects you to come back every 5 to 6 weeks right so like as long as you're doing a good job you can count on that you can count on that horse exactly right and there's so few of us that are certified
3: and talented enough to work on some of the more advanced horses that if you are just polite and show up on time and do a good job you will never get fired wow it's just those guys
1: still are assholes, you know. It's, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine, that's how it is. So we've just started drilling, Jonathan. Right from the right from the off, you've been questioned. question. I was after uh, question. not prepared. I'm not lying. <laughs> <laughs> so have <laughs> put let's, my seatbelt on. Let's take a step back. What have we been up to? What have we been up to, Jeff?
2: Uh, it, it's ah. Uh, I've been trying to like get back into the swing of things. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Barcelona, and I ended up there's a lot of catch up this past week and i had a good meeting uh uh down the this week that was really good and it was a lot of like catching up and trying to get back in the swing of things it's been super hot up here so Mm. it was kind of hard to to do a lot of stuff and then um i ended up having nothing the right nothing to write home about it was just uh you know (laughs) just trying to get get my shit squared away and it was it wasn't you know my favorite week but fine no no big dramas that's a good week then no, no. Except for some anxiety dreams, I had an anxiety dream last night. It was uh, due to the heat. I, I, we uh, we don't sleep with the air conditioning on because my wife and I have decided that we sleep harder in the heat. And I had this anxiety dream that I was roped into robbing a bank in the <laughs> Netherlands. In the Netherlands. (laughs) And it was this, i tell you what, this is a fact, this is interesting because, so apparently in the dream, someone says we're not, there's no one that's going to get hurt, we're not going to stick anybody up, we're going to, we get the keys to the bank, we're going to go in the bank, we're going to steal the money, and we're going to leave with all this money. So in the bank, I realized that one of the accomplices with me is Hulk Hogan. And... (laughs) <laughs> and now, you strategically please, left that part out. Already. I didn't want to tell you everything because I believe <laughs> it could have felt. so. We're so we're we're we're, we're like I, at some point we're drilling holes and then I'm cleaning up the dirt from the holes because I was uh, back in the day when I was an installer, I was always cleaning up behind me. And then we got all the money and then we're about to leave the bank. And then all of a sudden we see out the window the cleaning crew is there and they're looking at us and they're waiting to come in to the bank to clean the bank. And um. That's when it just all flooded to me that it, we're about to get arrested. It was this giant, like, oh my God, I never even thought that problems could occur. And now we're about to go to prison. So I woke up this morning in this horrible sweat, and I realized that it's an anxiety dream about the you know, the orders that I have coming in, especially for getting ready for Christmas, but also these bandito knives. i'm I, i'm I'm just getting ready to do the first uh, installment of uh, updates. But I just I know that that whole dream was everything's going good and then something terrible is going to happen. So I woke up right before the police came and ah, I was very uh, very happy that uh, you know that was the end of the dream. But at the same time, sounds like a
1: cheese dream. You want to lay off the cheese before going to bed. (laughs) <laughs> a
2: dream. I've never a in my a life heard of. I've never heard of a, cheese, heard a cheese dream. It sounds a cheese like dream. a French thing. A cheese if dream. Must-
1: is if, if you have too much cheese before bed, you get these crazy dreams. That's that's <laughs> the, the cheese dream. See, I've heard of like like
3: getting the meat sweats, and that's where like you, you eat too much red meat, and then you go to yeah. sleep, and you wake up all like
2: oh clammy, meat sweated. But I don't know about cheese. Sweats. Never in my life have I heard of a cheese dream. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, there we go. What kind of European what kind of thing. mold
4: spores they got? Growing on your that's probably what it's <laughs> from. It's probably from the
1: mold affecting your brain. But yeah, cheese dream. It's when you when you have a really weird, unexplainable dream. And it's because I like you and cheese.
2: I like that you're like going. You're you're like doubling down on this. Yeah, cheese dream. Come on, guys. You're really trying <laughs> to a push this. Yeah, you're trying to push this <laughs> it's on really hard. Normal. got No one understands. What I'm talking about. I going to push hard on the cheese dream. Right? Stop i trying to make cheese... cheese dream a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, you know. We'll... I thought it was fine. So, how
1: was your week, Craig? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> good, good. So, I've spoken in the past about the the way the business has changed so massively, really, over the last four months. So, um, I'm not really doing any customer orders anymore. Everything I do is steak knives for restaurants, and it's, I've just I'm just backed up. So, I mean, just this morning I had another order for 50 knives, and I'm just finding it a much, much easier way to work. So admin-wise, I've got one contact for 50 knives as opposed to 50 contacts, you know. And what I'm finding is that they're willing to pay the same amount that a single purchaser would anyway. So it's, 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 it's a mm-hmm. lot, lot easier for me. So I've been working on a hell of a lot of steak, steak knives. Um, I've actually built a tool now which allows me to... I shared some time back with this thing I was going to have on the website where people could... Pick um, the, the handle materials, the liners, the pin colors, all those kinds of things, like a customizer online, so you could see the really? finished knife. Right. Um, the one with like ten thousand options, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just. And I, I don't think I'm going to put that live now because I want to sort of move away from offering single knives because it, it, it doesn't make sense the way I'm working at the moment. So, so I'm using this tool sort of myself. So when I'm speaking to a restaurant. Let me back up. So, First of all, I've got this sort of proposal document, which I use. Um, and it's, it's all set up in a way where I can just drag a logo in and it puts it in the right place. It, it changes all the names out of this proposal. So it looks personalized for every restaurant that you'll go to. They'll generally come back to me with a yay, or can I have some more information, or could you do this, for example, in in walnut, or could you do this with a green handle, and so on. So now I'm using this tool to give them a a up of of how their knife would look, and it'll have their logo on in the right place, it'll have the pins that they want, um, and it's completely photorealistic because it's 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 a composite of different photos of different handles and different blades and so on, um, and it's just removing admin for me because. They can see exactly what they're going to get. As I say, it's, it's one order for a dozen, two dozen, 50 knives, whatever it may be. Um, and things have just been going incredibly well. So, yeah, it's been just <laughs> steak knives, steak knives, steak knives. And I think every week for the foreseeable 12 months, 24 months, is going to be the same. It's steak knives, steak knives, steak knives, which, which is great. It's, it's, it's really nice. So... Aside from that, I've also got this range of chef knives, which I'm doing with it with, with a chef, which is really exciting for me. Um, all right It's Yeah, it's, it's all changed. And I remember just sort of three or four months ago, I mean, I, I spoke to both Morocco and Jeff about it, saying, you know, I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm not getting enough orders in. Um, and they were all individual orders. But the minute I made that proposal document, and started sending up to, to restaurants, Things have really changed around. So I think going forward, that's, that's what I do. I now supply restaurants with, with table knives and steak knives. Oh. It seems to be doing the yeah. trick.
4: Bespoke steak knives for a restaurant. I love it.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, everybody does. Every other maker does it, but they don't, maybe, they don't market themselves as that. So you know, maybe that's what, how I'm getting the business. I don't know, but it, it, it's certainly working, so it's, it's all good. It's all good. What about right. you, Marekko? What, what have you been doing this week?
4: Well, really quick, uh, so the way Jonathan kind of projects out, do you, are you doing the similar kind of deal with your steak knives and, you, and you're just kind of slowly lining up more and more customers? Or are you kind of keeping it
1: a little yeah. tighter? So an example is, I mean, three months ago, if somebody wanted a knife, I'd work on it that day and get it out as soon as I could. Um, but, you know, now we're, I'm talking bigger numbers. So an example, uh, an order I confirmed this morning was 50 knives, and I've given that a nine-week oh, turnaround. Shit. Um and you know, all my all my knives are water jet cut out, profiled. Um I've got five or six different shapes of steak knife now, and they're generally picking from that sort of from that range. Um and I can just grind away, so I can just grind, grind, so I can have all these knives waiting and when an order comes in I can just get on with it. So yeah, I'm looking about nine weeks at the moment for um sort of restaurant orders. Um and I'm hoping that doesn't grow any further really. You know, so I'm always working to make sure I've got almost knives in stock because i've got this this range of five or six shapes and alongside i have lots of them ready readily available and then just you know Mm -hmm. putting handles on doing any of the bespoke stuff and getting them out Mm. very cool that's that's fantastic yeah
4: for me this last week uh has just been playing uh well, basically playing Mr. Bladesmith and Knife Maker and just getting back to it. Uh last weekend I had Neil at the shop working with me, doing some recording for combat. Um and I wisely <laughs> decided instead of just doing like doing something just for that, um, actually at the advisement of my my wife really, uh, was to actually have a project that i'm already a custom order that i need i need to get done basically um have that as part of the filming and so i did my handle sculpting part of the filming we did was just showing how i contour and shape handles and stuff like that and uh so i've just been working on it. it's a bit it's actually forged out to be a giant knife and uh i always offer the extra length the customer ordered an eight and three quarter inch knife it ended up being 10 and three quarters And. Um, I, that's yeah, a the beast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it comes down to that managing mass and material. And you know, I cut off you know that those couple inches in length on a knife really ultimately translates to maybe another half of a cubic inch of material. And so you just do that little bit, and it can it can definitely stretch away as so. I always offer that. The customer decided he didn't want to go, even though, you know, a lot of people would be like, Oh, that's cool. I want a really giant knife. Um, he, he's really planning on using this knife. And so he wants to be comfortable with the size of the knife that he's using. So we pulled it back, um, and to, to basically what he originally ordered. And so I have just been working on that knife. Uh, I actually have also been working, uh, on doing tinkering with my AMK. Uh, if, if you got an MK or you've seen them, you'll you'll notice that the bodies are built out of these extruded aluminum, um, which is cool. But at the same time, it creates a kind of lock in, uh, which means uh, you know between other grinders, you can usually pull pull a tooling arm out of a Beaumont and put it in something else, like a like a Travis Wurtz, or you can you know you can just the the, the tooling arms are interchangeable. Yeah. and so I've been working on building a receiver that can allow me to use my, my square stock tooling arms on my AMK. And it's actually pretty simple. And I've been talking with them and it might actually be something that they start developing and, and, uh, Offering along with their 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 grinders because that way it just allows a lot more flexibility with their tool and it does and it r- kind of alleviates that kind of lock in with their product and um, it it works really great the tool arm everything lined up really nicely and w- was working r- really well so part of the part of the impetus for trying to make this happen is uh, the grinder i've been working off basically since i started on my own 5 years ago um in my own shop is a grinder that i built and it's been good but i call it the frankenstein grinder because because i built it you know it's not made from like the greatest <laughs> nuts and bolts and materials and stuff and one of the things that really always gets me are the the uh kind of the handles that that tighten down the tooling arm as well as adjusting the track tracking um they bind up from the vibration and from the loose dust getting into those those areas they bind up and kind of either self-weld or they just or cold weld or or they just get stuck and so i usually end up just cutting them off and putting new ones on i'm kind of tired of it and so uh i've i basically retrofitted my AMK so that I could make uh so that I could use those toolings arm tooling arms on the AMK instead of having to go it really would be nice to have two grinders but I think ultimately I I am going to be back to being a one grinder person so one grinder for grinding knives the other one is going to actually get converted to a buffer and it's going to it's going to just have to be good for now
1: smart uh, yeah, sounds like a very good idea with you know using those old tool arms that's a smart idea yeah, yeah. If I'm if I'm being honest,
3: I have yeah. more grinders than I can use at one time and I sit on my one grinder for 95% of oh, what okay. I do yeah, sure. I, The other one that's near me has is set up with a billy jig and the only thing it does is change the, the, the uh, full tang direction underneath the handle And, if, doing mm-hmm. handle and if you
2: want to be, if you want to see something super obnoxious, go down to Doghouse forge on Instagram oh, and look in the, the deep <laughs> Jesus Christ! Just listen to me. Stop it. So, so, if you go deep, deep, deep into his uh, from a few years ago, he has—he's—it's he's, it's not there anymore, Jeff. Oh, you took it down? No, they
3: took it down because it has—it has—it had the Guns N' Roses song in the background.
2: Well, oh. that he had—he was—he had Guns N' Roses. And he had like five, five different grinders.
3: It was a very nice City.
2: And each it was a Sweet Child of Mine because okay. I can get the real snaky Axl Rose dance <laughs>
3: going on. Sweet Child of Mine. And, and yeah, he had
2: boy. like five different grinders. Each one had a different belt on. He turned all of them on. And he just started slithering down this aisle of grinders. Each belt was a different progression, and it was so obnoxious. But I, I remember a couple of years ago, I saw it. I said to Tony, "I'm like, that's what we need. We need a different grinder for each belt. Look at this guy he's slithering down the line, was- grinding each belt with a different grinder. I think each machine had a different um,
3: Scotch Brite on it." and then it, it was, was like obnoxious. something at the end it was, so end. Yeah, it was you ridiculous to, you thing. gotta find, you gotta put that back up take the, just take the music down it's long gone i don't think you keep them i think they take them throw them away and <sighs> i don't think i have videos from that far back but.
2: good job jeff bring up a good story hey it's all right well cool story, you guys bro.
4: got an opportunity today jeff you got like three or four grinders in there he does just, have i a have a i job.
2: i have two and i'm whole, i i'm i'm moving down that line i i want that to happen i uh I definitely want. The, I'm that much the plan. When I built my uh, my my deck for all my grinders, I had thought of all I could think of is Jonathan slithering down his line <laughs> with the uh, with the different belts per grind. I'm like, I'm yeah. fucking doing that. I actually have it. For, it's going to be the power hammer straight to the grinders so and all the way down. It's going to be great. Yeah. Nice.
4: I mean, to be honest, when I was at Dragon's Breath Forge, they have uh, six grinders there uh, before I even added mine, and. The reality is that I always basically just use one grinder, anyways, the whole time. So it's
3: the one I you thought, get comfortable with. It's yeah, you know how the plate feels, you know where the sweet spot on the plate is, you know where yeah. you know where all the things that it's it becomes it's the most personal tool that we use. You know, people ask all the time on this on this show, what's the most important thing if you're going to upgrade? And I really do agree with the statement that gets, uh, you know, the most it seems is the two by 72, because when we when we upgraded to that, it changed everything. And you really become involved with that tool because you can now it's like Moreko says when he does his handles, how he knows how to do all those crazy facets and contours based on this relationship that he's developed with his, tool, you know, with his tooling. <clears throat> he knows how to make his belts flex and bend to make that work because of what he's, how long he's been working on that machine. You know, whenever yeah. you, whenever you get that a piece of equipment, at least for making knives, it allows you to really, un, you know, unleash or, or harness its creative potential. Because a lot of times we can't do what we can see until we get enough equipment to make it happen. At least when it comes, mm-hmm. not... Not so much in forging, but when it comes to, to knife work or handle work or, and stuff like a lot of you're kind of limited. So you have to you have to be ready for it. That,
2: yeah, it's and nobody who ever gets a two by 72 grinder has ever said that was a mistake. <laughs> they, always say, they always say, why did I wait so long? Yeah, it's always every yeah. time I get a, a piece of equipment that it hurts to pay, but I get it. And I'm like, I don't know why I waited so long. I get more angry at myself than than the fact that I paid. Because it just makes you more efficient.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: This is KTP News.
4: Uh, this is where we just talk about some new things that uh, that's happening in the broader knife-making world. Uh, and I think, uh, I think Craig's going to kick us off, actually, with some news.
1: Yeah, so starting off with, with our, our longest sponsor we've had. So Even Heat have been sponsors of the show right from episode one. Um, and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's worth mentioning again. They've got a new distributor in the Europe. So the amount of questions I get saying, where did you get that Evenheat? Where did you get it? Well, I got it directly from Evenheat, but now you can get it from a distributor. And they've got plenty of stock. The prices are very good. And it's Multi-Tool Products Europe. That's what they are on Instagram. So go and take a look. I think it's John. Um, and he, he, he does a lot of other stuff, but I know he's got Evenheats in stock in Europe. And he'll ship anywhere in Europe. Well, Who's in, got a, yeah, go ahead. In
2: yeah, in, in, uh, in more of this, you know, knife talk news, uh, we had a really nice, uh, if you listen to our friends at the blacksmith's pub podcast, they just had the newest episode that's up now with Chris cash of Mount Phillips metalworks. They were extraordinarily kind to us and sending their guys, sending their listeners to us. We're, we're, we're deeply appreciative, and, and um, it's a great episode. I like all their episodes. Uh, Chris Cash of Mount Phillips Metalworks is a super guy. And one of the things about Chris that's really great, and I've said this before, If he, people ask me all the time in the United States, where can I get an anvil? Where can I get a uh, mechanical hammer? Where can I get tools, vices, and stuff like that? Chris uh, sells a lot of older tools. Like he goes, he buys shops. He ends up with uh, he ends up with a pile. He says he finds a new, you know, like a little giant or a small, you know, uh, mechanical hammers every week. Uh, He gets anvils there all the time. He travels all over the place. And it's a great episode to learn about Chris. He said a lot of nice things about us, but also he talked about cheaper way to ship things. And one of the things that he was talking about, and you, you can listen to the podcast, Blacksmith's Pub, he, I'm gonna, there's a radio tease. He, he explains how he can freight stuff inexpensively, like surprisingly inexpensive. It's like
3: 150 bucks, right?
2: Well, depends. I mean, he was sent, he, he, it's definitely worth the listen. Chris is great, Mount Phillips Metalworks. And thank you, Jesse and Rick, for saying such nice things about our podcast. I listen every week, and you're my friends. And no, Blacksmith's Pub
4: podcast. That's, that's Jesse Savage and Rick Barter. If you don't follow them both, you're making a mistake.
2: Definitely worth it. And the blacks, they interview the bet. We've talked about it, but they, 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 interview the best, they interview the best blacksmiths in the United States. Yeah. And, and now they're starting to get more guys abroad. And, you know, it's a, it's really blacksmith oriented, but, um, it, this episode, you should definitely all of the episodes you should listen to, but for sure, uh, this one with Chris cash is definitely worth a listen for sure.
4: Well, my little bit of news I got here is that there is, there's, I, I guarantee there are tons of imposter accounts and I've, I've, fortunately taken helped take down a lot of imposter accounts and I don't know why I never thought of trying to get the help of knife talk community uh, in the past but there is an account called uh, on Instagram called at unique underscore Damascus underscore knives and not only are they pretending to be selling my work but they got Chad from Australia at Tristone blades they got Quint- our boy with Quentin Middleton. Uh, I've seen, oh, what is it, Cayman Knifeworks, uh, Cayman with a K, Uh, and I'm sure there are others, and so if you could go on there and just report them as spam, um, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot else that people can do, but it helps um, kind of legitimize like if i because i'm going in and i'm gonna I, because they actually are using my stuff my images they they uh i can go in and actually make a report about the imposter account but it having these other people come in and helping to report them uh really helps instagram say okay i guess these guys are actually being assholes and pretending to sell other people shit and
2: and so If you can do that, that would be awesome. We've done that before (laughs) on stories. We've done that before. I I think maybe that was a very good idea, Mareko. Maybe we can start to kind of like galvanize (sighs) our fans to kind of. Help somebody that
3: doesn't understand what these imposter accounts actually do. I I don't pay a lot hmm. of attention, if I'm being honest. I focus sure. mostly on Doghouse Forge as a business. I try not to look at Instagram as a social thing. I've tried to narrow it down. It just yeah. I don't have the time. So, but what do <clears are> they <throat> accomplish? Like,
4: are yeah. So, they, so are they they'll selling put in selling
3: stuff. I mean, they, they, they can't literally sell it. I mean,
4: right. So what's happening is they'll put up what's happened in the past, actually, and actually to somebody who thought they were buying a piece that was mine, uh, is that they message the account. So the account puts up my stuff they say, this is available. Send me a DM or an email. This person is really excited. They send a DM or an email and the account says, Oh, you know what? It just sold, but I have another one. And the person is like, great. And it's not for exorbitant amounts, but it's like, it's like for whatever, somewhere around three to $500 or something like that, which isn't nothing. And then they turn around and sell them, send them a, piece of shit knife that is absolutely not worth two three to five hundred dollars and they do that repeatedly to as many people as they possibly can
3: so you order your knife and you get an ebay chef's damascus knife instead that makes sense
4: whatever and the person actually has an ebay account too so i guarantee they do the same thing over there so i mean it's hard enough to and and this is part of like the idea of the shokunin collaborative actually is that there are bullshitters out there slinging crap and it (laughs) basically looks makes us look like assholes in a way um because then that person has been uh you know they they, it sullies their their trust of kind of like the whole custom knife or system and so the ideas with the in is to help give people customers a safe place to go and know that the stuff that they are buying is being vouched for by other reputable makers and not just some random account that they did an image search through Instagram and found. And so, so I hope everybody who has just literally a couple minutes pull up unique underscore Damascus underscore knives, go report them as spam, please. And, uh, help get their asses torn down and, at least get rid of one more person being a jerk like that. Mm. And if
2: you use the promo code Knife Talk Ten, you get ten percent off from <laughs> <laughs> Unique Damascus Knives. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> tell well, me. You, know, you, you know what? Send the promo code. Send them the promo code. <laughs> said I, I heard that you we get ten percent off of the, these knives and see what happens. And then we'll and you you post it in your stories and see do the DMs. Say I want the ten percent off from the Knife Talk offer, and and you you send us the screenshot of what happens, and we'll repost
1: it. I guarantee you, they sell you something. Ten yeah. percent oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. off. Ten percent. They're like, I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> that, here, it's, it cost us. All right, <laughs> there you right. go. Wow.
1: Yeah. So, so talking about sponsors and ten percent off, we've got a new sponsor, and these these are guys that myself. I mean, I use their stuff. My recorders and Jeff does. It's Rhino Wet. It, well, it's it's Indasa USA, and they're the makers of Rhino Wet, hmm. which is the by far the most superior sandpaper out there. And we all use it for our hand sanding. We use it for everything. And they now do, you know, the sheets as we all know, they now do shop rolls. They do they do all sorts of stuff. So from next week they're gonna be a, a full sponsor, um, and we're gonna be able to tell you where you can get Rhino wet. Just off the top of my head, now I know certainly within Europe you can use ground flat stock. I know they're stocking it. Where do you get in in the US, Jeff? Where you get? I'm US? under
2: the impression that Texas Ferrier Supply has it. There we go. There we go.
1: So we're going to try and work something yeah. out. Let's try and get some sort of discount on Rhino Wet for you as well. But go follow Indasa USA because they do more than just, you know, the Rhino wet sheets. I mean, I've got some shop rolls on order now. They're going to come here, so I'm excited to see how they work. But um, yeah, go follow Indasa USA on Instagram.
4: Well, and everybody knows the red line also, but they actually have a lot of different lines. And one of them is the plus line, which I really like because it's a silicon carbide. And I've found in my experience when it comes to hand sanding, super wear resistant materials like Crewforge V, silicon carbide is the only thing that can really make it happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, most hand sanding paper is alumina oxide. Uh, maybe until you get into finer and finer grits. But this their plus line, they they start out with alumina oxide, but then it jumps into silicon carbide at like 500 grit. So any fi- anything from 500 up is silicon carbide, and it just helps with wear resistant materials, whether it's like I said, a crew Crewforge V W2, I completely forgot how much of a painy ass W2 was the hand sand until recently. Uh and you know, but also stainless materials. The last time I hand sanded stainless, like I had to jump into that silicon carbide and it made a huge difference. So uh yeah. Multiple lines, that plus line's pretty handy.
1: It's one All of right. those things, like Jeff said earlier, nobody's ever gonna regret getting w rhino wet because it just makes your life so much easier. No. It's by far the yeah. best out there.
4: It's pretty incredible stuff.
1: All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> okay, so we've had some of your questions in. Um, we do this every week. We try our best to answer your questions. And today, there's, there's four of us, so it should be a little easier. So, Hallblades is the first question. He asked, we don't get degrees in this field, but what do you guys do to continue your education? That's a very good question. Let, mm. Let's start with our guest, Jonathan. What do you do to continue your education?
2: Um, or what would you do? Like, what, If you could do something to continue your education, what would you do?
3: That's actually been a weird topic for me. It's, it's, um, I, I, I do a lot of, of, I guess we call it rabbit holing, something
2: like that, right? Is that what yeah. you, what, when yeah, you, when I have you... no idea what you're talking about. Okay,
3: when you like... <laughs> like Alice I'll, I'll, in Wonderland. Yeah, it's like I I, I want to know what something is because I don't understand it. Okay. And then before I'm done, I'm learning about like nuclear fission, and I had no idea why I even got there. I, I
2: thought okay. it was getting a little I thought it was getting a little sexy in the car for
3: a second there. I do not know what. That no, meant. no, it's way too hot, Jeff. Right, I'm very sorry. Right, right. Um, and I'm very i, and I, 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 I don't have <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put my seatbelt on. I <laughs> We're about to go rabbit holing. <laughs> <laughs> rabbit hole, and I'm
2: putting on my seatbelt. Uh, 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 oh, sorry, f- oh man, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot the question. Now, <laughs> yeah. so what do you do for your continuing education? Oh, it's
3: I don't do enough. Is the answer I am uh, with the knife making? I just don't, haven't had enough time. I have in um, September. I'm going to go down to. Steve Schwartzer's, which is right near me in Florida, and we're gonna, he's going to show me and teach me a lot about the con- the, the canister Damascus. That's a hole in my Damascus-making process that I've always wanted to learn and fill right. to do the canister Damascus. Good can move. And he, you know, that's the thing. Like, he came to the shop one day and walked around a little bit, and he said, let me get some things squared away, and I'm going to teach you how to do this. So that's that's continuing education for this year. I assume that will be enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the rest of it, when you're in the beginning, it's just getting to as many things that expose you to new thought so that you can collectively take all of the pieces that you like from everyone and become you. If you are learning from one place over and over and over again, you will not realize it until much later on, but you will learn their holes. In the process and you won't even know it because you don't they don't know they have the holes either. So when you jump around and you pick from this guy and you pick from this guy, it's like with shoeing horses with me. A lot of people will say that I shoe horses so different on every horse that they can't usually tell what kind of style I shoe. And that's because I don't have a style. Some guys' techniques work better for this animal, and some guys' techniques work better for this animal. So I just pick and choose what works. And with continuing education, that's what you get to benefit from is to be able to pick things that you like and implement it to your system.
2: Very you
1: good. What about you then, Jeff? What's what's what are you doing ah. to to keep yourself learning?
2: Well, if it, I'd like to I before I left for uh Barcelona, I did a little bit of Damascus here, which by myself, without any anybody's help, I had actually had a few conversations with Mike Quisenberry, was super, super helpful to me, reached out, and he gave me some advice, and then I was talking to Cliff Dufton, and, we, and I made a, a, a small, very easy, I want to do more Damascus, but honestly, I really wish if I could do some continuing education, I want to learn more about machinists about how to be a machinist, like working with lathes and working with, you know, all the machine. Mach- I don't have really any experience uh, as a machinist, as opposed, you know, as long, you know, besides just using a drill press. So that would be definitely something end mills and all that. I, I, I that is one thing that I really regret. I was in a couple metal shops where we had that. That. But the funny thing is a lot of these old school machinists, they don't want to teach anything because they think they're going to take their job. So I really was kind of like shooed away from a few uh, opportunities to learn how to use end mills and lathes. And I, I, that would be one thing that I would like to 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 use.
1: Nice. Morocco, mm. down to you.
2: Okay.
4: Uh, for me, uh, you know, I I love... Rabbit holing, actually, and I, I'll do it on Instagram. Okay. And
1: what kind know, of lube do you use for that? Oh, Jesus Christ, Craig. WD-40, what's the... <laughs> oh,
2: my God, this is a, a cheese dream. If it's going to be, a, if if right it's gonna be right a really
3: here. deep one, and, Craig, you need like three-in-one like oh cutting my, fluid or something. Oh you need God. you need something that'll <laughs> hold up to the cheese.
2: What is happening? happening? <laughs> Rhino-Witt's about to jump ship. Goss <laughs> USA, they're like, oh, man, get out of here. <laughs> Oop, never on. mind.
4: <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, uh, just looking around at as much stuff as possible a lot of modern makers as well as historical stuff especially italian italian knives and swords there's just a lot of crazy inspiration in a lot of those things and and so then i start drawing things up in my dear diary and um and then uh yeah and eventually ideally hopefully someday i get to a chance to play with them but more than anything i i'm like jonathan in a way where i I'm trying to stay as focused as possible on my order list. So it doesn't really create a lot of opportunity to experiment and play around as much as I would like, uh, except for in Damascus, because fortunately uh, I got a lot of customers wanting me to just do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, But when it comes to construction styles, you know, there are lots of things. Like if you've, have you guys been seeing, uh, what is it? Salem Straub has a, a new pantograph, which is a kind pantograph. of a mill. Yeah, it's and incredible. And he's been cutting these he's doing crazy, it already. In- yeah, he's cutting these insane inlays. Uh, and essentially, the way it works is you make a giant template and then you, you can size it down based on how the pivots all work and everything. And then it has a cutting head on the other side and it can pre- very cleanly and precisely cut uh, on, on handle material to create inlays, uh, I think, most commonly, or cross hatching or whatever kind of stuff. Uh, but just there's just all kinds of stuff. Frame handles. Uh, I have. I kind of have played with forged, full forged, integral knives with guards, um, but I haven't finished out, finished any of them out. I've just forged them. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just finding inspiration online and then trying to figure out how to incorporate that into what I do. And you know, that's that's my version of continued education. Is basically just trying new stuff I've never done before.
2: The pantograph is what uh, Florentine Knives use to put their touch mark on. Right. So it's like, you know, you have a little, you know, like a hand, you have a, you know, thing that you hold in your fingers, and then you're following the guide, and then the diamond tip inscribes it uh, on whatever you're doing. So it's a different, it's a smaller version of what Salem has, but that thing is, that thing is pretty sweet, but it's terrifying. You go off the, you go off the track, and you got a nice little scratch going on, so it's... When he got that, I, I rabbit holed into the pantograph world. And mm.
3: I realized that the pantograph is actually just the scissor mechanism right. that allows it. But right. the, what they connect that to is infinite like, as far yeah. as the detail right. work. So it so allows it's... the
1: sort of scaling up and down of what you're doing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Cool.
4: All right. This next one is from Shin Shinstock Knives. He says, hey, cuties, have any of you guys. Oh, wait, Craig, did you answer that? Continued education?
1: Um, you did not. I didn't, and um, I the, answer, hear the answer is nothing, really, <laughs> at the moment, because... It's, you're too damn busy. Well, I've, I've, my attention <laughs> my attention can be turned, so we, I'm like a magpie, so whatever I'm currently working on is my favorite thing in the whole world, and that's it. <laughs> nothing else matters, <laughs> it's just this. But then I'll see something sort of shiny out at the, the corner of my eye, then I run over to that, Then that's the most important thing in the world. So I've really wow. had... Wow, I love yeah, it. I have really had to sort of stop and just think, let's just do what I do for a while. And then maybe in a few months time, I can think about maybe innovating or, you know, stepping up in some way. Um, but yeah, I'm making a massive, massive effort just to just to not learn new stuff. I mean, I mentioned last week that, you know, these recycled plastics, I went down this huge rabbit hole. of I'm going to have a whole recycling plant and I'm going to be pressing everything. And I was just like, what are you doing? You know, you're taking all the energy away and doing something else. Just do what you do the best yeah. you can. So, yeah, at the moment, I'm doing nothing. It's very, very intentional.
2: I see you with like a, a spike in a bag picking up uh, recycling.
1: <laughs> yeah it, it was oh getting God. that way you know it's just what are you what are you doing you idiot concentrate P.S. You know,
2: focus p.s yeah. that was my first and best paying job of all time when i was growing up in new york city i used to clean the tree pits on park avenue from 54th street to 79th street were you a
1: criminal and I just, were you a criminal
2: was no like- i was if i was 15 or 17 years old they needed someone to, the, the the park avenue association needed someone to clean them up and They asked me. I'm like, yeah. So I would walk up from from uh, 54th Street to 79th Street with a spike and a bag, and I would clean the I would clean the islands. That was uh, that was some good dough. Mm. Nice,
4: Grandpa Jeff in the house. You realize that's like the fourth time you've told that story on the podcast. No, that
2: is (laughs) possibly. Yeah, dude. You okay? At least three times. Yeah, you know these are for the new (laughs) listeners. It's In our conversations, these are for the new listeners. You know they need to know that you know I wasn't you know just because I lived in New York City doesn't mean I was like you know sipping at champagne out of a you know crystal glass. I was picking up dog shit on the street. I think the reason Jeff and I have
3: become friends is because we have been able to successfully tell each other the same stories repeatedly without remembering that we've told them or remembering <laughs> that they told us. All right. So it's a really good
2: harmonious thing to do. Yeah, we, have we gotta, you know, this is we're doing a weekly podcast. Some things are gonna get recycled. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Get that question. Shin stock.
4: All right shin stock knives this next one's from Shinstock knives it says hey cuties have any of you guys made your own shop equipment and if so do you still use any of it i think i was just talking about my grinder that i built yeah. i i do still use it but i'm working on phasing it out a little bit yeah otherwise that's it
1: i've made lots of like little jigs and things like that you know that i'm always using but with regards to sort of you know Heavy machinery, no, I just think get the expert to do it. That's my opinion on that
2: yeah i the I have uh, uh my first forge the single burner forge I built with John Ledford, and um, I built that, and I still use it all the time. It's a great little forge um, I use it all the time. I did get a, a bigger three burner forge that I kind of go back and forth, but for uh, the single burner forge that I built uh, when i'm just uh when I'm trying to I don't need to get things super, super hot and I can, you know, like bottle openers and stuff like that. It does save me a little bit of gas and it gets the job done. And I still use that all the time. I,
3: I have to say that if you're um, in the beginning, it's really hard not to, not to fall into this frame of thinking where you're trying to build it to save money. But every time you try and build something to save money, you will lose money. So just save up oh, yeah. buy the professional equipment it will it when I first started shoeing horses. I was on eBay constantly looking for used equipment. I was on all of the Craigslist looking for used equipment. And I was trying to save money here and save money there. And my mentor would be like, Will you just stop and save the money and buy it because you're never going to buy it again? He's like, You just need to buy the one that you never have to buy again. And that's what you all have right, to there do. You know, and I'm like, Oh, but it's $200 more than all of these used ones. And it's like, yeah, but you're going to go through 10 of the damn used ones before you finally suck it up and buy the new one. It's like a so vacuum it, pump. Uh, just like a vacuum pump. You know not yeah, But there's no Harbor Freight exchange for, yeah. for most of yeah, my that, equipment. That's, that's,
2: a, that's, a, that's a backdoor insurance policy you've got set up. It's a cheap insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, I just, I personally, I,
3: I used to be the opposite. I built my first heat treat oven. It, 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 it would run to 1,400 degrees. That was as hot as it got. Um it wasn't that I had the wrong components. I didn't have the wrong anything. But guess what? The box on the inside was two inches too tall to get me the extra three hundred degrees that I was shooting for. I didn't know that. Now that I'm friends with and, and work with some kiln company guys, they looked at my original design and were like, "Oh, that that'll never work. That's that's too much of this for this." And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, I don't even know what those words are." But <laughs> I guess I should have spent nine hundred dollars on this heat treat oven that i ended up eventually taking apart and now i just use the the empire bricks to hold up my damascus bars in the kiln so that's a pretty expensive you know prop to hold your your damascus bars up you know sometimes it's better to just suck it up make (coughs) something happen and 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 make it make it work until you can buy the tool once
4: yeah yeah that's actually one of the hashtags i use is invest once okay Yeah. yeah
3: it's it's that's hard, though, especially when you're trying to make things happen and you have limited resources. That's what Bernie
2: Madoff's. that's what his favorite hashtag was. Oh, yeah. Nobody get that one. Nobody got that. That's a New York joke. No Bernie Madoff? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. All right, never mind. Somebody got that. Somebody cricky, from New York got that. Yeah, <laughs> fine. Alright, Brody Donnelly. I'm going to switch it off. I'm going to switch it on. I'm gonna, we're going to rabbit hole Brody Donnelly right now. Oh, Brody Donnelly Blades writes, hey man, can I ask you a question? Can you etch a full tang knife after the handle is on or will it affect the epoxy and the wood scales? If I etch it before I glue on the scales, it would just get sanded away along the spine and tang as I shape the handle. Thank you.
1: Okay. I think we, we've answered. We talked about this in the past. So I think this is a yeah. perfect one for Moreco and our countdown clock. You ready, Moreco? Oh, geez. 30-second <laughs> answer. Okay. Ready? Oh, ready steady. <laughs>
2: Go. Wait, did
4: it start? I it's can't right. hear it's it. It's on. It's on. Okay. Okay. Uh so you want to temporarily attach those handle scales. So if you're using corby bolts, um then you can cut those heads short so they're below the surface of what will become the face of your handles. And then uh you know just or you can also glue tack stuff, but then get all of your sculpting done, take it back apart, uh etch your blade and then glue it back together. Clean up and then all you have left to do is clean up the head of those bolts. Oh, you're brutal, <laughs> you're Craig. Done. You
1: are you're brutal. Done. Oh, oh. Use nail it varnish. We've done. talked about using nail varnish in the past as well, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, so fake. You know, cut the. So what you're saying is make them short. Make the Corby bolt short, and then afterwards just put the new ones on, and all so you're doing is touching the sides. We
3: did tell him how to correctly do this. We did not answer his question,
1: though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> That's not what the show is about, Jonathan. It's about oh, jingles. Sorry. As many jingles uh, uh, as we can fit in as possible.
3: <laughs> it is all it's best to do it the Moreko way. If you do put the scales on and you nick it or something, um something that I've been able to accomplish is to basically like Mareko has done on his in his feed before, you can tape up everything and then you can get the blade re-etched if you have an accident, that's easy enough. But to do the actual tang, if you tape everything up. Um, you can then take the ferric is what I like to use and then like a Q-tip and you just Mm. drop one drop at a time and you have to make your tape like use duct tape or something waterproof and make sure it's all the way down you can even use heat on it and that way you, go, you know you don't you don't have any gaps and you just do one drop at a time and let it roll down and off the butt and just it is not quick and you better be ready but that's why you want to do this the other way you don't want to have this is fixing your problem this is this shouldn't be your your go-to solution so if you have yeah. to you can do that drip drip method and it will re-etch it but it's,
1: it's you're, you're going to be there a while yes yeah. nice. okay next one is from ec nivery what are your favorite recipes or meals that use the most of the basic knife skills a chef should know? I'll, jump straight, I'll jump straight in with mine first. So I'd say anything with a, with a mirepoix, so the, the whole onions, um, celery, carrot thing, um, because, you, you know, you, you're, dicing, you're dicing a lot, and it, it's that repeated action. So anything with a mirepoix, so that could be, you know, a, a basic sort of ragu sauce, a bolognese sauce, that kind of thing. What do you guys think?
2: I recently, my wife and I found this Israeli restaurant in Manhattan that we love for breakfast, like brunch. Mm. And I, we never had this before. Uh, we had what's re- commonly called an Israeli salad. And it's awesome with everything. And it's really all knife skills. So basically, it's cucumbers, tomatoes, um, red onion, lemon juice, olive oil, salt, and pepper, and a pile of, and a handful of parsley. And I know, Tomer, you're shaking your head in in your grinding room, angry that I got it wrong. But basically, you're—it's all fine dices, and then the <laughs> olive oil and the lemon juice and the sea and the salt really make it. It's almost like kind of like a, a Mediterranean salsa. It's, but it's not very—you know, like—it's uh, a great accompaniment. We love it at our house. And it, you, you do what uh, you want to focus on your cutting, cutting. So cucumber. Uh, tomato, uh, red onion, lemon juice, olive oil, salt and pepper, parsley. Great. And then you're chopping a lot. Yeah.
4: I like to, uh, I I think homemade pizza is actually a great opportunity for practicing all types of different cuts and then just throwing it on the pizza and baking it. (laughs) So that's always a fun one to play with knife skills and practice knife skills for me. Uh, But otherwise, outside of that, like probably stews. Right, mm, yeah, because you're cutting down stuff, different sizes. Um, trying to think what else. I don't know what else, but yeah, those pizza especially, and you can get the family involved or friends over or whatever, and chop up a bunch of st- stuff. And if you cut your finger, you got somebody to call nine one one for you. Or, so, yep.
2: unless pizza. you're Craig, unless you're Craig, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mister Fingertip, Mister
3: Fingertip, just the tip, Craig.
2: <laughs>
3: I, I try to rack my brain. I don't cook a ton. I have an amazing, amazing wife that has always just dinner all the time. I'm so busy. But I, when I do cook, it's uh, chicken fettuccine is a good one, mm-hmm. I think, because you've got meat prep. You've got post-cook meat prep. You've got julianing the spinach. You've got cutting up tomato. It's it's all in there. So that one definitely uses a lot of different you know types of materials to cut through.
4: Mm. Yeah talking about your wife actually really quick you mentioned before that you have a couple part-time employees helping you but i've i've heard before you talk on other podcasts about your wife is a pretty integral part of the business
3: i mean i don't call her an employee because she is a hundred percent part right. owner of the company so part. it's yeah, sure. um and the, tr- the the truth of the matter is is I'm so excited for Craig to lean right up in that mic. Sorry, world. I'm so excited for Craig for getting to the point where his admin is down because how Emily became a part of Doghouse forge was I was literally getting fired from horseshoeing accounts because I was not getting my work done. Like I would be at the barn all day and not finish my horses. And it's because my phone was constantly like email about designing this. And you guys know how long those things get. And, She does all of the customer service. She does all of the custom order design stuff. We've been doing it long enough now that she'll ask me about like a color. Can I hit this again? Um, You know, or is that, is this, is this a whoops and it worked out? Or can we repeat this? You know, very, very few questions that she has to ask. We have, she's got our, our prices are all done on a blade inch. Situ- you know, systems. So there's it's just a matter of doing the formula, and it made it where I can just make knives and shoe horses and focus on wow. my. Inven- th- there's still a lot of admin and inventory and materials purchasing and and, and prepping and, pre- and prepping. But to not have that is so key to being successful. I Absolutely. at least for me, because Jeff's got got Tony. You've got your wife Mareko. So Craig. Yeah. You got You got to get an assistant, man. You gotta, yeah, we got to well, get
1: my you. my wife. Assistant. My wife is does just as much as I, honestly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. I thought she was so busy with her own success. Well, yeah. I, I steal as much time from her as I can, basically. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got it.
3: If, if you don't have it, you have to. I don't know what to tell you. I failed. Yeah. That's the bottom line. When I tried to do it all by myself, I failed. I, I was mm. literally ruining my 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 careers, both of them. I wasn't efficient in my emailing. I wasn't efficient with my shoeing. and at some point, Emily realized it, and she's like, i literally was a manager for a retail women's clothing store if you need customer service there is nothing these knife people are going to throw at me that will even phase the (laughs) crap that i've dealt with at a woman's retail clothing store and i was like you know what you're so right and then the minute she took over it took us uh six months to a year to really get our system to where it's just foolproof but it's it's worth it gotta say it's worth it
2: I envy you all and not envy you all at the same time because I really wanted a separation between my home and my business. So I, I, I my wife and I get along, we've been together 25 years and she's awesome. She's incredible. She and I have, I have different mindsets in terms of like what she does for a living. She's in healthcare. She deals with really intense situations. I I just, I like to... I would like to separate our business and personal together. And I don't think that she and I would do well together. Um, So with that said, it's I'm envious that you guys can have this relationship where you're, you know, you're counting on them for the business and then kind of separating yourself out when it's all over. Because I I know that my wife and I are like, my wife and I are like literally like Larry David and Mrs. Larry David. So we're like, we're completely 100% Ugh, I don't want, and it's over. We don't. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> I know that. It, I know that it would we'd be making personal decisions as a. Dis, we'd make decisions based on our personal finances versus the correct way to go about the business. So, with that said, hats off to you.
1: Yeah. Well, without well, sounding too much like a like an eighties ballad, I I I can't see where sort of my life ends and my wife's life starts. Everything is all as one because. We live here in a very remote area, and we, we, you know, we both work from home, and we, sh- you know, we share looking after the, the twins together. So everything we do is always hundred percent. We're always together, always in the same house. If we go out, we go out together. We're always in the same place. So yeah, yeah we're, I think we're just very fortunate that we're those kinds of people. Where we either of us would struggle without the other one because we're so involved in each other's lives.
3: I, the original intention with Emily was she was going to help me until I could figure out how to either hire somebody or I could figure out, you know, we could get big enough that I could have an assistant or a, an actual manager. Because what mm. I think most of us knife makers need, and you, most of you guys that are have egos are not going to like this, what most of us needed are managers. If we would have a manager that told us what to do in our knife shop that we were accountable for, we would this industry would fly. It would fly. Well, It's because we sit around and we're self-employed and we, we are in charge of our own production. And some of us are good enough to keep up with it, but uh, myself included,
2: ADD kicks in. If I had a manager, that's be what happens. Well, that's very interesting that you make the dis- distinction of, as a manager, because when I approached Tony, my business partner, I knew that I needed to, I knew that it was gonna be tough in the beginning and we weren't gonna be making millions of dollars. And that I needed to have, I needed to offer something to him that was more, uh, less of a paycheck and more of a stake in the business. So when I approached him, I said, I don't want you to be my employee. I don't want you to be my manager. I want you to have a stake in this company. I want you to grow with this company. I want this to be part of your company, which gave him much more of an incentive for us to, you know, to deal with the growth of this company. And, And it's changed. It's This is the best decision I ever made because I feel like he feels he feels the stake in this system, yeah. grow, this company yeah. growing, which is
1: different than a guy just clocking in and clocking out. Yeah, he's got you know a right? both emotionally and financially. Yeah,
2: I, it yeah. wouldn't have worked. I wouldn't have been able to. I mean, he's been with me for almost five years. It, I would for four years, five years. It wouldn't have worked if I just said, here's, you know, you, you know, if you know you you do this and then you know you report to me or or he, there wouldn't have been any interest. I mean, he and I talk every other day. We sometimes we have taught we talk on Sundays, and it's like and it's because we're into it and he he we, we he believes in it and he also has a stake in the company because it just wouldn't have worked any other way. You know, with with
3: Emily, it was intended that she would be replaced by a manager, but what ended up happening because she is an artist and she's passionate is. She, And she's proud of the work she does, and she can't help it. And that's what a lot of us are—we can't help it. So she took it and she made it her own. And now there's no chance Mm -hmm. in hell that I can possibly replace her (laughs) because she's so integrated in how the system flows that you can't teach it. Because it's now it's she can she can convey that passion and and like Craig was saying that stake in the business. Like you know she has that emotional connection. When it's emails, I realize it's just text, but that energy goes with it and she can move more custom orders she can she can do more than i ever
2: could because she is passionate about that part of the business but your marriage is tied her your marriage is also tied to the success of doghouse forge
3: sort of that doghouse forge got to be a problem for us in 2016 we were doing too much it was one of the first years that we like exploded in our volume and she exploded in what she had to do. It would, the, the, the stresses of when you explode in volume, you start spending a lot of money on materials to create that volume. And that gets very stressful when you are, like I said before, knew it all of this. So we had to make very hard and fast rules. And the one thing that I, we, we break this rule on occasion, but we are pretty darn strict about it is that when I come home, we don't talk about Doghouse Forge. Let the doghouse Hold oh, oh, we don't we Holy don't talk, dog, we don't talk about doghouse forge at the house. Son of now, if there's a, an urgent matter that needs an answer, that's not going to ruin your marriage. But if you come home every day and you're barraged with, I've got this custom order wants to know when his knife is getting completed. I have this custom order wants to know if he can change to this. These three new custom orders they want to know if they can get they can get uh, dinosaur bone, but they only want it from this one rock in Russia that they have to you know. And it's like if you. If you let that
2: encroach on your personal space, it will destroy it. Ugh, I can only imagine. i am going down for a cup of coffee and my wife says, just write that email. I don't want that. I don't need that in my life. So we just, we just, we ha- I am fortunate with Doghouse Forge.
3: I have a, an office. She has a desk. We have everything we need right there. She also does all of the shipping, which is fantastic. We're we're hooked up through the internet. I don't know how it all works, but when somebody buys something, the label comes out of the printer, and she does all of that. Luckily, we have all that at the shop, so it's not like I have to come home, and then we have to print off labels at the house and get the office mm-hmm. stuff done at the house, which that was part of the okay. problem in the, t- the earlier days as we were, we were running – Two different sections of the business in two different places. So once we put them in the same place, she comes in on Mondays. We have our weekly budget meeting. We have our weekly forecast where she tells me what she's working on in the custom order department. She realistically forecasts what she thinks she'll be able to close and what she thinks is going to be a waste of time. I will realistically forecast what I can complete that week. We go over... Custom order builds that are coming up that she can then reach out to update the customers if I'm late, which I'm always late. So she's doing that. And then on Monday we get the whole week lined out and then we just work on that for the week. Because there's nothing else that's gonna change. I can't make any more knives than I told you. And the truth of the matter is I never make all of the ones I'm gonna tell you that I'm gonna make anyway. So it's <laughs> it's yeah. It's as long as you set the set it up on the on the one day of the week, at least for us, and then when she, if I'm, she comes into the shop in the mornings, and that's when she asks me questions about knives and doghouse forge orders. And that way, when we get home, we're married, and we don't have to talk about. Like I may piss her off because she does have to be the liaison between the customer who's two weeks late getting his order and me, and she's taking that heat if there is heat. And most people are. There's never any heat, but at the, at the same time, it, it's. You don't want to have to bring that into the bedroom or, or the breakfast table, like 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 you said. The last thing you want to hear before you go to bed at night is, are you, are you going to be able to get this finished tomorrow? You know, and it's like,
2: that's not where you want to be. So, E.C. Nivory, there's your answer.
1: <laughs> Hats off to Emily for getting recipes, shit done. I think he helps. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right?
4: All right. Well, I want to take a second and talk about our sponsor, Combat Abrasives. Uh, they have. We got a promo code with them. Um, it's Knife Talk Ten. When you go to CombatAbrasives.com, anything you get from them, you'll save ten percent off anything you buy. Um, but yeah, definitely talking about getting shit done. Their abrasives blast through material. I uh, I was doing a bunch of grinding recently, and one belt to get through a bunch of like a lot. And I, uh, what was I doing? I was grinding on 10 knives and, um, one belt. That's all I needed. And so if you go to combat abrasives, they'll take care of you. They got epoxies. Uh, I actually was going through their page the other day. They have slow cure epoxy as well as fast cure. They got, um, they actually offer some steels I think they got ten ninety five and I can't remember what else I saw on there, but they got all kinds of abrasive discs. They got, uh, woven belts they got them in all kinds of crazy ass sizes too uh things up to like six inches wide so yeah go go to combat anything you need from them abrasive wise uh they they can take care of you so again if you go to combat uh punch in knife talk 10 at checkout and you will save yourself 10 percent
1: a bargain at half the price Moving on. The next question is from Get Lost Knives. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? How hot is too hot when you're grinding a blade after you've heat-treated and tempered? Let's start with Marekko this time.
4: Uh, I like to keep it cooler than what my hands can handle. So I, I grind barehanded. Thank you. Uh, and that keeps me from overheating my steel because it the, steel, the heat transfer from the friction of grinding through the blade to my hand will burn my hand before it'll burn the steel, ideally. Mm. Um, in thinner areas or small areas, especially down at the heel or out at the tip, it can happen really quick. Or in really thin cross-sections, it'll happen like in a snap. But... Um, I grind, grind barehanded to help protect from overheating my steel. I bas- But basically, you don't want to let it get past the temperature that you tempered it at after heat treating. And for most people, that's around 350, 400 degrees, um, maybe a little higher for harder use knives. But that's like a light straw color like if you went back with a torch to heat up the blade it, the the blade will go through these color changes and it's the very first one the color starts a, a, uh, showing up on the steel around 350 degrees 400 and uh, for actually 400 is kind of a brown but if you get into purple you're you're getting into 500 550 or beyond and you've over potentially over tempered your steel uh, in that area and you got a problem so i uh, my suggestion is to grind barehanded. handed that way you can h- physically monitor the heat of the steel um if you're worried about over grinding. otherwise, I always keep a bucket of water underneath my grinder uh five gallon bucket full of water, so sometimes I'm not even feeling the heat. I'm just um every like five seconds, ten seconds um it's probably actually more like five seconds i'm grinding 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 dip grinding 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 dip Grin- and i just get into a cadence that helps prevent overheating that steel because i grind hard and i'll grind super coarse for prob basically about 85 90 percent of all my grinding
1: and good belts don't don't go cheap on your belts because right? if you wear out your belt it's oh, going to heat yeah. up that much quicker so just keep well, your belt fresh-, fresh yeah
4: yeah, fresh belts, for sure. Yeah, it, that's another thing that creates a lot of friction is a dull belt. It's not cutting. It's just rubbing against your blade, and that's going to create a lot of friction and I potentially overheat your steel as well. There you go. What do you guys got?
2: I don't think there's anything more to add than that. No,
3: that's that's my answer. That's exactly what I teach the clinic participants is do it barehanded after heat treat, and you will never get it hot enough to where you can hurt it. I do have a question for you, Mareko. Sure ponder this one you don't have to answer it now because i've never found an answer why yeah. do we temper why do we temper twice for two hours if we can ruin the temper in a split second
4: well i mean there's something especially a thicker cross-section of the material there's something about and i'm not the metallurgist but from what i understand there's something about again just time at temperature for more thorough um, tempering um, but.
3: It'll and, definitely ruin the temper if you spike one, and I mean, you go to sharpen it, and you're going to see where you turn oh, the glue, it blue. It's going to dip, and then you might—you're yeah. never going to get an even edge. So it's well, and that, but it's the, well, just and crazy. That's,
4: that's where the cross-sectional dimension comes into uh, consideration. Is for thicker material, you got to spend a light, just like you were talking about curing the the wood. Um, you know, you you got to give it a little bit more time for it to to thoroughly. Penetrate. Um, yeah. make, yeah, penetrate and add a thinner cross section, especially down at the edge or out at the tip. Uh, it's easy to overheat that material. Um, and it doesn't take much, I uh, like you said, you know, you, if you get it purple or blue, you know, you've fucked it basically. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think also the reason we want to temper at least two cycles is because, after the first tempering cycle, uh, s- more of the untempered martensite is kind of kicked over, and so this, the purpose of the second cycle is to temper that. Anything else that might have potentially kicked over after the first cycle of tempering, allowing the steel to cool down, right. um, temp- tempered a second time, and that'll that'll help alleviate. Uh, uh, Probably like 90, 95% of any kind of untempered martensite. Inevitably, there's almost always some amount of untempered martensite. You just cannot really do it because it, it might take a couple of years down the road before some of that will, uh, that austenite will kick over. Mm-hmm. And so it's, but it's a very, 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 very small uh, percentage that you don't really have to worry, be concerned about. So that's what I got. I'll just go to this next one. This one is from at Deer Gear Knives. Or, sorry, Deer. Dr. Gear Knives. It says, Hey, cuties, can I ask I you a question? Deer gear. That gear. would be such a better I, name, Deer Gear Knives. Deer <laughs> Gear? Oh, yeah, because the antlers. Deer Gear. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, cuties, can I ask you a question? What is your favorite blade shape and your favorite forging steel? Love the podcast, thanks, dear or Dr. Gear. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, dear. <laughs> thanks, dear. Thanks, dear Gear. <laughs> <laughs> dear. Oh my god, that's Neil. That's Neil's fault. He keeps. I'm still fucked up about the whole Dear Diary thing. <laughs> I still got that in my head. Anyways, uh, Jeff, what what is your favorite blade shape?
2: I I enjoy. Recently, I've been really spending more time, especially this year, forging those integral knives. I really, really enjoy... Uh, The blacksmith aspect of the manipulation of the mass. Uh, I don't do a lot of forged full tang knives. I really only do the integral knives for forging. That's what I really enjoy because it's that, you know, the ratio of the bolster to the rest of the blade and the tang. And I like the blacksmithing angle uh, of that. So I would say that. Yeah. What about you, Jonathan?
3: I'm kind of... My favorite blade shape depends on the process. i th- I guess if i'm if I'm forging, I really like to forge little outdoor knives because there's so much more to me, there's more radiuses and contours and shape that you can put into it. It's just there's not chef's knives are kind of you know a triangle with a triangle on the back, and then we we change the shape of the triangles to make them comfortable. But, <laughs> Depending on the outdoor world is sort of a more a little more imaginary based. Like it allows the shapes to be a little different. So for forging, I like to play with that. I like forging inserted tang knives versus full tang knives. I really get a kick out of hammer finishing my steps so that they're like crisp. That's just the farrier in me. I think. Sure. Um, and then, I, I, it's, as a as a as a business, I like whatever knives um, everyone is buying at that point in me time. Too. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So there
4: you go. Well, um, and I'm sorry. He also asked about your favorite forging steel. Steel to forge oh, okay. blades
3: out. Um, honestly, the most fun steel to forge out of, and this comes with a disclaimer afterward. I I love forging out of my farrier's rasp. It is such a easy steel to move. It it whatever they're doing. I I use only the Heller brand rasp. Um, there's a million different rasp out there. They're not all going to be the same quality. I broke one open and showed Jeff one day, and it's got better grain than knife makers will probably achieve, <laughs> achieve in their shops ever. Like, it's insane. Mm. So, sure. you got to have certain, that one brand will work, but it's that is such a nice, easy steel to forge. You get the cool texture of the blade, or uh, are, are just in the project. And then, the, my least favorite thing to forge is 52 100. Every, everyone can take that and go forge Ugh. on a power. Oh, yeah. It's a rock. That shit it just, does not move nicely. It work, it work hardens every time it cools down.
2: So every heat, it gets harder and harder and harder.
4: Jeff, do you have a favorite steel you like to forge out of?
2: Um, I've been doing a lot of 1084. I like 1080 sure. forging 1084. Uh, actually, I had a really good time forging a piece of Damascus from Bob Rankin. I was kind of surprised at how easy it forged. And I was also the piece of uh, Damascus I forged. Uh, before I went to uh, Barcelona, was super super soft and easy to forge. Really kind of was really nice to forge. So I would say that those guys. I don't really, I don't really fool. I don't really. I've never forged fifty two one hundred, so I don't really have a lot of. I like to stick with what I like and then not fool around too much. But I have a piece of W two that I, I'm a little terrified to, to to forge, and I have a little fifty two one hundred. I'm kind of just like I always draw on the back burners. But ten eighty four, I like that very much. Yeah, that's a nice one.
3: It's a good forgiving yeah. steel. It really yeah. is. It's a good balance. 1095 gets gets a little hard to move, especially if you're early in your hammer control. Right. 1084 it right. just soft enough to where it'll give you that little little kick.
4: Yeah. Well, I got to say that my favorite blade shapes it, it, I mean, I like my uh, the chef's knife style that I do is uh it's kind of a blend between a European profile and a um and a Japanese Guido uh, you know edge geometry or edge profile. Uh, I like a little bit less belly in my chef's knives. Uh, so when it comes to knives, that's definitely one of my more favorite. If I'm going to talk about non chefs, I'm gonna. I really like the curves that like the Derosiers and, and J, uh, Jason Knight get in their kind of recurve choppers. And uh, when it comes to forging, those are actually a lot of fun to forge, and it's just a wicked result. I mean, it's a badass looking blade shape, um, but they are a lot of fun because there's a lot of contour going to it. Uh, you know, for, you know, forging the the harpoon clip. Uh, into the blade is tricky, and so just managing the material so you can actually do that is also f- a fun challenge, but um, yeah, that's what I got well, for that answer.
3: With, with the clinics, everybody comes in, especially for their first clinic, and they want to make like a recurve fighter or something that has that has a top line and a bottom line that both have contours. So I have to steer them into a flat top line so that they're only forging for their first time where I can keep control over one side of the blade. Because when they come in and they want to do like you were just talking about with the DeRocher stuff, and the fact that they're forging those, I hope people recognize how complicated it is to forge the top line and the bottom line and end up at that result because you don't do one and then do the other. That is the true expression of doing everything at the same time and ending somewhere. And that mm-hmm. takes forethought. It takes a lot of discipline and it's it's something to be respected.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Well what about you, Craig. I don't forge. I'm a very proud stock removalist. <laughs> um, but if it's if it's a carbon steel, my chosen steel is generally fifty-two one hundred. Um, if it's stainless i really really like the sandvik steels. so either the 12 c27 m or the 14 c28 m um they're just really clean really really nice nice to work with um and regards to shape um you know all my knives that they're, they're full tang whether it's the steak knife or a chef knife they're they're full tang but regards to a chef knife it would definitely be you know the typical sort of european not quite a French style, not quite a, a German style, whereas the, the French is generally it's sort of pointier. The German's got a bigger belly. might sort of in between. Um, but, but if you're talking about chef knife shapes specifically, I can recommend two really good books, actually. So the first is Knife by Tim Haywood, and it goes through all the different shapes and you know, the advantages of different, different types of knife, that kind of thing. And the second one is Sharp by Josh Donald of uh, Bernal Cut- Cutlery. Um, Again, very similar book. They'll have lots of manufactured knives there, and they'll explain why the shape is the way it is and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, if if you're unsure of of a shape for yourself, I'd say take a look at both Knife and Sharp, two great books, and they've got lots of really good examples.
2: Well, 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 this part of the podcast is sponsored by… New Jersey Steel Baron well they sponsor all of it so the New Jersey Steel Baron is an awesome company we buy all of our steel from and while we're here Jonathan Porter is here directly for the reason of he's going to the New Jersey Steel Baron so do you want to just say a little bit about the New Jersey Steel Baron you know you
3: can buy it blade steels from a few different places but what it comes down to for me is they literally are their own little family world there And if you run into those guys at Blade Show, like you're gonna know that these are the steel bearing guys because they're a community, you know? And they treat me like I'm a part of that little world. And that feels great to know that when I need something, I have a friend that's selling me my stuff. I'm not just buying it off of the internet, you know? And I realize a lot of times I don't need something to where I have to make a phone call. I get that you can buy stuff, but it's so nice to have that personal connection. And that's something that we just don't get in that kind of business. The fact that they're a steel supplier and they're this personal is just completely, like, ironical. I think that's right. the right way to look at it. Fine. They, they should be, they should be like, tough and coarse and mean, and you, you should be afraid of them, you know? <laughs> like, they're steel barons. They shouldn't be the, the super, <laughs> super cool, chill dudes that they are. So, I don't know. The blade steel aspect of it it is better steel there's no way around it i've used some of the other ones i've used the biggest company that sells the steel and i will tell you without any doubt that your blade grain quality will be the best using their metal
2: bottom line there you go and not to mention they also do water jet services i just got a pile of uh, my bandito knives got shipped i get all my oyster knives cut from them um the they're great and look Jonathan drove from Florida, 18 hours to load up his truck for steel to bring down to, to, uh, back home. He, that's where he asked her. When we when we leave this podcast. He's going to go to the New Jersey steel Baron, hang out with them for a minute and drive all the way back with his truck filled with steel. So go to New Jersey steel Baron. They're working on their website. They're a great company to sponsor. And that's it. I mean, the, I mean, they're, they're good people and you, and they, and they'll, you can create a relationship with them and they're great. Yeah, Pete cuts between 500
3: and 2,500 knife blanks for me a year, so that is a huge 2,500. Not that this year is, is going to be closer to like 750, but next year is going to be Holy probably 2,500 or so. So oh my that is a that is a that's a relationship that I want to have with somebody that I can trust, but I can also work through things when there's problems because. That should just be a testament that if I'm willing to give them this much business and trust them with it, they in turn have never let me down and they I would not be Doghouse Forge if the New Jersey Steel Baron has not been in my corner because they take care of me at every step. Truth truth of the matter. There you go. New Jersey Steel Baron.
0: Craigslist Community Showcase.
1: That part of the show where we like to give a shout out to another maker, another product, or whatever it is that we um, that we really like ourselves. So I'm going to kick things off and go straight in with um, Instagram user Owen Bush, bladesmith. Um, he makes these amazing, amazing kitchen knives. He makes he also makes swords and uh, like saxes. He makes he makes lots, um, but he does this like really sweet Damascus, um, and it's this this feather pattern and he, you know a wire style handle on the knife. It's just fantastic. So go take a look at his Instagram, Owen Bush Bladesmith. He's based in London, but his work is just phenomenal, phenomenal. Go take a look. Owen Bush Bladesmith.
4: Is, is it me next? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, sorry. All right, so this week I got Ty Tonelli. He is Ducla underscore Knives. On Instagram. He's a young guy. I met, actually, for the first, uh, first time, I think, three years at Blade Show. Uh, three years ago at Blade Show, I met him. He's based out of New Orleans, Louisiana. He's uh, he's a r- really nice kid. He's doing some really great work, actually. Very creative. He's definitely doing it in kind of his own style. He did this thing the other day. I'm looking at it, actually, right now, where he did a, uh, a resin-casted uh, bat skull in the handle material um super cool look (laughs) just this the concept is such a neat idea and um i've actually my sister does a lot of jewelry and she does these resin casted beetles and and all these other kind of insects and i always thought that would be really cool and i saw it in his handle i was like son of a bitch he did it first um but anyways go check him out he's a young guy uh he does really great stuff and uh i'm proud to know him and uh so yeah do claw knives. Give Ty some love.
2: He just did a uh, Instagram story where he was bicycling his box of combat abrasives. Nice. Uh, this past week, he is was that who his, that was? He was on his bike. I loved that. Was the most amazing video I've seen this year. <laughs> he was biking <laughs> with the combat abrasives on the front, the, the front, the uh, front handlebars. <clears Holy <clears <throat> well, shit! I, yeah, it's oh, a little sorry, bit like. No, it was a little <laughs> bit intense. I mean, it was just like, all right, well, there you go. You're going to, you know, let's hope he didn't hit by a car, you know? Yeah. I
4: was him. just, I was just looking at his stories right now. He's got a, uh, I won't do that again. I think waiting to happen, but he, it's a picture of his hand and a table saw in the background and just the tiniest little bits of his middle two fingers. It looks like he caught on the table saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh no.
2: <Anyways. laughs> Shit. Sorry. Sorry do claws, do clause a good dude. you gotta watch it
3: yeah. I don't have any do
2: claws anymore though <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to give a little love to this Australian uh, journeyman Smith his name is Jackson Rumble uh, Rumble underscore knives. Oh, I yeah. actually just saw him this morning he was doing in uh, he does a lot of keyhole uh, integral knives. Uh, he's in uh, Canberra, Australia. He's extraordinarily talented. He's, he's, his knives are very, very inspiring. Lots of uh, Damascus. He does culinary stuff. He does, you know, as the Australians, they like to do those fighting knives. And he did a lot of he does a lot of stuff with like the keyhole um, integral transitions that are just, you know, stunning to me. So uh, Jackson Rumble, uh, it's rumble underscore knives. There, you, there we are. Check it out.
1: Jonathan, have you got somebody that you'd like to give a shout out to?
2: I've been thinking
3: about it. I just don't. (laughs) Nobody.
1: (laughs) It's not like I have no personal
3: beefs. I just literally don't. I can't think of anybody that you guys haven't mentioned. And I don't spend a lot of time. You can't mention anybody. I I just think if if there's a, a general shout out, we need to continue to support these younger guys and keep them in encouraged. We need to keep them inspired and we need to keep them progressing, so that they cannot replace us, but that we can keep the young thought and the young idea influence. So the more we, the more we support these people, the better. Love it. That's so a good the, way yeah, to
1: end the show. That that's a good way. So that's a show. That's a show. So remember that we're going to go live every Monday. Remember we got discounts at Combat Abrasives uh, using uh, Knife Talk Ten. And and tag us, tag us. If you're getting anything from any of our sponsors, let us know and and we'll shout out for you. Speak to you next week.